happy Friday. It's Adrian Lawrence. I'm filling in for the great Nina Turner. And oh my goodness, there is so much going down. But before we jump into it, I definitely have to ask you to please do your due diligence. Subscribe, share the stream, let people know what the what's up is because we are gonna be talking about it and covering it today. And I'm also gonna get to your comments because of course they give me life. And helping me really flesh all this stuff out today. I'm talking about Rebel HQ contributor. You may know this man as Mondo Robinson, that's right. He also happens to be the mayor of Enfield, North Carolina. Uh, Mondell, how you doing? I'm wonderful, it's good to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm grateful to have you too, especially with this first story, which has been developing over the last few hours. But my God, it is you know not all that great as far as I'm concerned. It's the North Carolina Supreme Court Clearing the way for the GOP to gerrymander in the state. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Here is the headline from the Hill. NC Supreme Court overrules decision that struck down the existing voting maps. I know we're a little bit delayed on getting that headline there, but my God, I'm sure you can see it everywhere because the topic is trending on Twitter right now. And really what makes this ruling from the North Carolina High Court even more disturbing, it's really that the court is reversing its own recent decision. Not much has changed since the decision was issued except for the makeup of the court as far as I'm concerned. But let's head to the Hill for more details. So the North Carolina Supreme Court on Friday overruled its previous decision that struck down the state's GOP drawn voting maps. Finding that claims of partisan gerrymandering are political questions that cannot be resolved by the state's courts. The 5-2 party line vote dismisses the underlying lawsuit that led to a sweeping election law clash at the US Supreme Court allowing the justices to potentially sidestep the dispute. The state court is in separate rulings also reinstated laws that require voter ID and prohibit certain felons from voting as in the black ones. But the court previous four to three Democratic majority had struck down the GOP drawn map after Republicans regained control in an expensive midterm election campaign. Yeah, that's right, the party's new 5-2 majority granted a request from the GOP lawmakers to rehear the dispute, marking only the third time that the court did so in the past three decades. Yeah, so this decision clearly is a byproduct of North Carolina's newly formed GOP leaning court. And it also effectively rejects judicial limits on partisan gerrymandering, and given that, as a result, this decision may play a huge role in the challenge to the independent state legislator theory. This whole doctrine that is currently being argued before the US Supreme Court and the question of whether the Constitution gives the state lawmakers the authority to regulate federal elections within the state without any kind of checks and balances from the state court. This is all nonsense, but fortunately, we have a gentleman from North Carolina who will know this very intimately. Mondell, what you got? Listen, Adrian, I think this story is sad for a lot of reasons. Not This isn't just bad for North Carolina voters, this is a bad voter suppressing ruling for the entire country. This is gonna set a president presidents that we have not seen, not just in three decades, but since black people were fighting for their right to vote at all. This this is you know, basically the equivalent to telling black people 
we will put you where we want you to vote and your vote will be watered down because they'll be able to draw districts like the ones that are already in the state where that reach from one part of North Carolina, the western part all the way to the middle of the state, which is about a two hour drive. These voters, the reason we have districts is so voters can vote in blocks for things that are best for their community. In North Carolina, it is not the case in the Supreme Court, the Republican Supreme Court, we should say, just made it so that it will be harder for black people to vote what's best for their community because they'll be watered down and put in districts that do not show or represent the power of black voters. And that, and that to me is sad, not just in the state, but across this country. Absolutely, and it's so, uh, I don't know, it just makes me say this is why we don't really have a democracy. The thought is that every vote, it counts, no. No, because the system is set up and structured such that every vote doesn't count because that's the intention. The intention is to really fulfill the intentions of our founding fathers, which means wealthy white men get to vote and everyone else's vote gets watered down. It's just that some states are more aggressive with that approach than others, including North Carolina, as we're seeing now. And the thing is, it's historically been this way, particularly in North Carolina. This kind of voter suppression has really been a thing. And it's been growing ever increasingly, really since Donald Trump's second run at the White House in terms of him announcing it. Because people in the state of North Carolina, really, when you look at the maps here, is the fact is that it is already structured and set up for the potential of this gerrymandering that is possibly going to come to pass where you see you have clusters of Democrats there. And that's largely central centralized around major cities. And as a result, the structure and the setup is something that Republicans, the GOP, will create districts based on what works best to ensure that the vote is watered down for those communities. And these discriminatory practices, as I mentioned, have been going on for a long time. Here is some of the reporting from 2022 by the Brennan Center for Justice to give you a full look at what this is. So in 2013, the Supreme Court invalidated the formula in Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act that determined which states were subject to preclearance. In the years since that decision in Shelby County v. Holder, political gridlock in Congress has thwarted efforts to update the formula and bring the Voting Rights Act back to full strength. That failure has allowed North Carolina to enact some of the most discriminatory district maps in its history after the 2020 census. Overall, by and large, North Carolina, well, it leads the way among the most gerrymandered states in the nation. Here are the top five, North Carolina, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Kentucky, Louisiana. And this hits me at home because I am licensed in Maryland. I took a bar there and the thought that you would think, hey, this is kind of in the north, nah, not so much. Cuz really the move to oppress the vote of marginalized people is nationwide, Mondell. Yeah, it's it's nationwide, and I tell people all the time, uh, you know, voter suppression is as American as apple pie and baseball, and we shouldn't forget that. And it's not just a southern thing, as you pointed out. We saw Pennsylvania on that list. This is a this is a a a problem, and I and I'm glad you said it, it is really an attack on what we call democracy. How can we say we have a democracy when we allow partisans partisan players to act in this manner? We see Republicans take control of the Supreme Court in North Carolina, and they get right back to the business of ensuring that Republicans hold 
whole control of state legislatures um, and also state congressional seats. This is a disgusting state when you think about the fact that if you look at the number of Democrats and the number of Republicans, they're almost even in the state, but the districts don't represent that. And I think we should figure out a way in this country at the federal level to prevent partisans from playing in politics in this manner. We should not have people votes being relegated to you know their skin color, and that's exactly what's happening right now. Absolutely, that is exactly what's happening. And as we um, as we noted earlier that the Republican majority of this North Carolina Supreme Court, uh, what they also had done in their rulings today is they upheld the state's felony disenfranchisement law. And that effectively denies voting rights for over 56,000 individuals in the state. And this came after a lower court there had struck down that law because it clearly discriminated against black voters. Again, the fact is that our society is not operating as a democracy by virtue of the reality that it's looking to ensure that wealthy white men remain in power and make all the decisions for how this country proceeds and especially making those decisions to their benefit. And among them is this dude here, Jim Justice and his what little pet dog. I welcome Joe Manchin to come into the race if Joe wants to come in, but at the end of the day, I think we'll be okay. Ultimately, it would be great for your resume to be the US Senator from West Virginia. But at the same time, you would that you could potentially help hand the Republicans the majority in the Senate. How big a factor is that in your equation? It's everything. I don't care if anybody buys into this or not. But from my standpoint, I want you to know one thing. I'm a patriot and I love this country. There is so much I can say, but I'm not going to say it. But I will apologize to the dog because the dog didn't get a choice in all of this. Um, and so I'm sending him my thoughts and prayers. But anyways, uh, this dude happens to be the problem. And he happens to be the one who's challenging Joe Manchin uh, there for his Senate seat in 2024. Yeah, that's West Virginia Governor Jim Justice. And really, there's no justice there, uh, but it's cute. Anyway, if you're familiar with Jim Justice, you already know these highlights of lowlights. But let me go ahead and educate otherwise. So uh, as CNN, CNN says, Justice was first elected governor in 2016 as a Democrat. He switched parties the following year, announcing his move at a rally alongside Trump. It wasn't the first time he had changed his political affiliation. He had previously been an independent and a Republican until 2015. When he ran for governor as a Democrat, it's like he couldn't make up his mind of which party to kind of be on. That's really cute. It tells me there's a lot of loyalty and commitment there. Anyway, Justice easily won a second term in 2020. He has recently focused on conservative issues. Last year, he signed into law a measure that prohibits nearly all abortions in the state, except in certain medical situations or in the case of rape or incest. Last month, he signed a bill that will allow West Virginians who have concealed carry permits to carry certain concealed weapons onto college and university campuses. Because why would we want students to focus on their education when they could be in fear for their lives? It seems like so much more logical as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, it leads us to really the thought of his backwards look on gun violence. Check this out. Look, I'm a hunter and I've hunted and fished all my life and you know that. But with all that being said and everything, I can tell you positively, now you may not like this, but I think you will. I have never seen a gun kill anybody, ever. Mm, mm, I think we know where that's going. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, before we 
fact check Jim on his delusion. Here's his justification. Put a gun right there and you leave it alone. That gun's not gonna kill anybody. But there's a heck of a lot of people that kill people. And we need to do something about the people component of it and not the gun component of it. And that's how I feel. Uh, I'm so logical. He's so wise. It's kind of like, you know, the set of knives that I have on the counter uh, of my kitchen. They also don't kill anybody and they don't also chop any food unless I'm behind one of them. Uh, but still, you know, the Republicans and logic, it's really not their strong suit. Anyway, well, Jim, who is now a Republican, uh, since he wants to claim that this is how it should be, we really, I guess, shouldn't really have a gun conversation. But then again, maybe we should. I think we should continue the conversation. Well, at least when asked about justice entering the race, well, Joe Manchin, he offered a typical response, saying that he is laser focused on doing the job West Virginians elected me to do, lowering healthcare costs, protecting Social Security and Medicare, shoring up American energy security, getting our fiscal house in order, and making sure that I continue to pocket as much money as possible based on my position and wealth. But make no mistake, I I will win any race I enter, except for probably anything that requires a marathon. Well, Manchin remains undecided on whether he's gonna run a, for a full third term though, as there's been a lot of speculation as to whether he's going to run for president. Mm, <laughs> that's cute. Uh, well, Manchin's residential flirtation raises big 2024 questions. Yeah, check that out, there you go, that's always good. Reading the briefing from Meet the Press, well, NBC's political unit really gave their insight there. And among the insight that has been provided out there, we wanna bear this in mind that West Virginians rank fourth lowest in the nation on quality of life metrics due to poor infrastructure and low economic opportunity. Nearly a third of the state's roads are in need of repair and much of the critical infrastructure is nearing the end of its lifespan. Educational attainment in West Virginia is some of the lowest in the country. With less than a quarter of residents holding a bachelor's degree or higher, 14% of residents live in poverty in one of the nation's one of the nation's highest rates. I'll also note that I remember seeing a study, I believe, last year that said that individuals in West Virginia, I guess, had the highest rate of toothlessness across the nation. Not that that matters, but it really speaks to the fact that the people there are in need and they deserve a representative who is not looking to fill their own coffers, but. It doesn't sound like they're gonna get one, whether it's in Mansion, Justice, or whomever else. Um, Montel, what are your thoughts? I was ho- I, listen, I was hoping a dog was gonna announce he was running for it. Because I am I am not a fan of Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin himself should switch parties because he acts as a Republican. So the idea that a Republican, well, a now Republican is gonna challenge him makes perfectly perfectly good sense. I mean, he's been pretending to be a Republican all the time. And I think West Virginia is gonna remind him that we'll take a Republican versus a play Republican anytime. So he continues to say that he'll enter, he'll win any race he enter. But I don't know if that's true or not. I mean. This is a Donald Trump Republican in a state that Donald Trump is extremely popular in. So justice may have a chance, but we do know one thing about justice. He's a patriot, a patriot like the rest of the MAGA, you know, the ones that will try to take and overthrow our government at any cost, especially when their candidate does not win elections. So let's hope let's hope that people don't run in West Virginia's house after justice defeats Manchin, which I would be extremely happy about, not because it gives Republican control of the Senate, but because it shows the Democrats that as long as you have these milk toast candidates running or being elected, you're not in a safe space. And I think the Democrats need to be reminded of that.
Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more. And the fact is that West Virginians, they deserve so much better. And it's sad because it seems that every time they are voting against their own interest, just because Manchin has a D next to his name doesn't mean that he's actually working in their favor. And it's just one of those things that you really, really hope that people get wise and they and recognize that they don't have to live the way that they're living, especially given the tax rates that we're all paying or some of us because I ain't done my taxes yet. But anyways, maybe I'll do them during this break. Either way, we will see you after. It's Adrian Lawrence back on the block for Nina Turner. Yeah, this is Unbossed, as I know you know. And I also know you know that May 1st is coming up, and there's a May Day special. That's right. Join Anna Kasparian, John Idarola, Senator Nina Turner, and Francesca Fiorentini for our live May Day special. We're going to celebrate labor gains of the past, look at the current struggle for workers' rights. We're going to get into it. TYTLive.com. You can also hit it up on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch. Monday, May 1st, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific. And also check out Dr. Rashad Ritchie. He's hosting a new show. That's right, on Sirius XM Urban View. Join him Sunday's channel 126 for the Dr. Rashad Ritchie show or review. Excuse me. Check it out. That's right, Sundays, 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. And also, you gotta hit up that Barnes and Noble. And if you're not gonna go into an actual brick and mortar, check out the BNN.com. So you can pre-order Jenks upcoming book and get 25% off. Justice is coming and you should join in. That's right, today is the last day to get 25% off at bn.com. Use the code preorder25. And also, you have to check out the podcast, that's right. Yes, Unbossed is everywhere, Apple, Spotify, Google, check it out. Search for Unbossed, click follow and give us those five stars cuz you know we need them and we like them. At TYT.com, Mickey C says, this old lady has developed a huge crush on Montel. Don't tell him that I'm almost old enough to be his grandmother. Uh oh, look at us, we doing love connections via Unbossed, okay. Twitch, Blazing Monkey says, North Carolina and Wisconsin are where the GOP go to master gerrymandering, can't stand them. Yeah, it's it's a special place, but also if we look nationally, it's everywhere, you know, how we have these segregated areas and neighborhoods, boop. So YouTube and Super Chat, Joanne says, gosh, what a good surprise, Adrian and Mondell. I like that. Tracy says, Adrian spitting facts, doing what I can. Manuel says, Dem and Republicans are actually one party. Whoever you vote for, big companies' wishes will be done. You want what's best for the humans? Vote progressive. I could not agree more. And that's especially what voting somewhat progressive, or at least what was on the D blue ticket, got us, which is wage growth, which is some great news for workers out there who are trying to survive and keep up with the cost of living. Wage growth was strong in early 2023. That's right, reports are out. Also, we know that unemployment was at a record low. Check this. You're also getting we're also getting new jobless um, jobless claim numbers, and what are they saying? And these numbers are showing some resilience as well. Two hundred thirty thousand first time uh, claims. So these are people who are going to their unemployment office for the very first time, first time. filing for unemployment benefits. This is down sixteen thousand from the prior week. And let me give you some perspective. In the decade before the pandemic, mm -hmm. the average was. 311,000 every week. So this is still historically pretty low. With all of those all of those headlines every day of, you know, we're in the middle of of job cuts from 3M yeah. and from Disney and from here and from there. 
when you look at these numbers, it's still a pretty strong job market. That strong job market is feeling good for all of us to a certain extent. All of us except for the Federal Reserve apparently. Their officials are trying to tamp down inflation without causing a recession. Although part of me feels like as an American, it's like a every decade thing. So, But anyway, how different is the wage growth here? Well, this per the New York Times. Wages and salaries for private sector US workers were up 5.1% in March from a year earlier and up 1.2% from December. That was the same growth rate as in December and defied forecasters' expectations of the modest slowdown. So, you know, you have to ask yourself, why would this upset the feds? Here's your answer. Policymakers believe that the labor market in which there are far more available jobs and workers to fill them is pushing up pay at an unsustainable rate, contributing to inflation. They are trying to strike a delicate balance, raising borrowing costs enough to discourage hiring and ease pressure on pay. But not so much that companies begin laying off workers in mass. Which is kind of interesting as we know that the 1% always manages to get their big payday. And we aren't really necessarily being paid enough because there are so many costs and expenses out there. And our wages are what the only thing that haven't really been going up. But the results of the effort seem to be mixed in reviews. So here are three results in particular, or at least four, I guess. Inflation has come down from its high last year. Economic growth has slowed. Companies have begun posting fewer job openings. Housing and tech sectors have cooled down. Fed officials worry that if companies need to keep raising pay, they will also need to keep raising prices. That could make it hard for inflation to return to the central bank's target of 2% per year, even as the pandemic era disruptions that caused the initial pop of inflation receded. Hmm, that's really interesting because I, I don't necessarily think that's the case. If anything, that's how our system is somewhat structured, yes, but it doesn't have to be the case. I've definitely got to ask you, Mondell, does that, does that seem right to you or? It's, it's so funny that the Fed is upset or even bothered that you know right, wages are going up to keep up with inflation. We we know that this does not have to be the case. You're absolutely right. Our system is structured that we don't we don't complain about CEOs and executives making 21 times what the workers make, but we blame workers' salary on prices going up. They don't have to do that. They they their companies are getting record number profits. Uh, quarter after quarter. So what we can do is we can say, listen, if you're raising your prices while your CEO is maintaining their pay, then there should be something done that is costing that we're blaming workers for inflation. You don't have to tax workers or slow down hiring. We want to slow down hiring, really. So we're saying a set of Americans need to be unemployed in order to keep this system in place. That sounds like a broken system to me. There should never be a time where the feds are discouraging companies to hire. And if people hear that and say it out loud, they should be bothered that we're not challenging CEOs to cut back on their golden parachutes when they leave companies while they're at companies and say, listen, if you're creating resources for companies, then you should be paid better, not CEOs who sit in offices and ride, you know, golden jets. Exactly. And the fact is that there are so many people out there who are still struggling. And I do get the thought that we should celebrate the fact that wages are up. You know, Representative Jayapal, what well, she took to Twitter. Really to boost the benefits, uh, tweeted out this, unemployment is down, wages are up, Bidenomics is working. Um, and generally, I don't like any president's name tied to anomics, but that's because the person who first did it is just not my ugh. Anyway, but the reality is that we're still out here struggling. Like, look at this headline here. 
It really says it all. 73% of millennials are living paycheck to paycheck, new report finds. By the way, the average millennial now is what, like 40 years old? So it's like, we're not young bucks out here on the street. We are kind of at the age where generally you'd like to have a family, you'd like to have a house, you'd like to have a car. Maybe you'd like to put food in the refrigerator. I don't wanna get wild here, but it's kind of like a we're struggling. So clearly wages aren't doing it in terms of the rise that we've gotten, what little rise. Meanwhile, we know that young adults in Gen Z are showing signs of strain as well. Check this out from CNBC. As of March, 66% of Gen Zers were living paycheck to paycheck, up from 58% a year ago. Many in this group are or are earlier in their careers, which mean less earning potential and a greater susceptibility to layoffs. This is the prequel to some kind of Hunger Games stuff. I'm trying to tell you, like the thought that, oh, wages are up. Well, wages were like beneath down before. So why am I gonna pat you on the back? And then to have the Fed Reserve be up here all up in arms of, oh, they can't go too high. Guess what? They ain't where they should be to begin with. This is a problem and it's not a concern on the fact of how high the wages are. It's by by for by virtue of the fact of how messed up our system is. Uh, Mondale, any closing thoughts? No, I think, listen, I think you're absolutely right. The fact that we, we are knowing that these two generations are the largest generation in the history of this country. And now more than 80 million of them are living living in poverty or living paycheck to paycheck. This is unnecessary stress. And the idea that we're bragging about Bidenomics, whatever that is, uh, as working until we match uh, our wages to where they've been. I mean, we haven't had a raise. American workers haven't had a raise since the 70s. So this idea that is up 5% really isn't a raise when inflation or you know was about the same thing. So what we're doing is we're we're this is false, false advertisement as it pertains to where the workers are. People in this country are hungrier now than they were in the 70s, and that is sad. That is a sad state to what is called the strongest economy in the world. Absolutely. And so for any millennials out there, my best advice is to hit your cart to some kind of boomer because I'm sure they got great pensions or whatever. If you gotta go down the aisle to get that married on or whatever it is, cuz that's the only way you're gonna survive. That's just my thoughts. But also Ilhan Omar may have different thoughts, especially since she's out here condemning the GOP's bill that got pushed through just the other day narrowly. Yeah, that debt ceiling bill. Well, the Limit Save Grow Act that's been dubbed a debt scandal is something that Ilham Omar is not down for. I wasn't surprised because I knew that ultimately as a car you know, uh, salesman that he would make some sort of concession. And we saw that um, up to the last minute as he was begging uh, for those votes. And you know, there were reports saying that he was telling his members, uh, don't worry about the substance of the bill, just vote for it so that we can say uh, we have done something. Uh, and it's really uh, you know, disturbing the amount of economic damage that they are willing to inflict on America's poor and working families, our veterans, our seniors, our children, basically every single person in this country uh, that they have promised that they were going to alleviate the economic anxieties that they were experiencing. The Congresswoman from Minnesota, who's also very blessed because she's near Canada, she needs to get out. Anyway, well, she took that truth also to Twitter and she called out the GOPs on their raggedy cuts. Uh, here, check this out. So 120 billion from Medicaid and food assistance, 71 billion from tax cheat enforcement, 271 from clean energy, cost of the Bush uh, Trump tax cuts, 10 trillion.
Yeah, they don't care about the deficit. They care about transferring wealth from the working class to their billionaire friends. Exactly, that's exactly how it is and the way it has been and we need an answer. And here's a reminder of what the act really looks like, check this out. So repealing energy tax credits, blocking the student loan debt cancellation, adding work requirements to social support systems, draining COVID relief funds, all of that there should tell you what the GOP's agenda is, which is to keep the American people poor. because. That's really what they're doing. They wanna keep that class divide there. And especially because they know that individuals who would potentially benefit from actually maybe getting the return on investment for their tax money would rise up and also potentially be generally people from marginalized groups. But before I say too much, anyways, where a progressive economist and an analyst have offered similar critiques of the House GOP bill. The White House also noted that this bill is really DOA. But also Republicans are hoping to get some of their provisions in the final debt ceiling legislation. AKA they're really hoping to hold every hostage in order to put push for their wealthy agenda. Check this out from Common Dreams. This is the next milestone in House Republicans attempt to play a game of dangerous political brinksmanship with the US economy trying to force through harmful and deeply unpopular federal spending cuts in exchange for increasing the debt limit. This approach recklessly flirts with bringing on the economic catastrophe of the government default in the short term. Catastrophe, I'll get it at a certain point, but right now it's not it. Anyways, we know that House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, he really did not hold back as far as I'm concerned with his feelings about this bill. House Democrats worked with former President Trump three times to make sure we avoided a default and raise the debt ceiling without partisanship, without showmanship, without gamesmanship. President Biden has produced a budget, House Republicans produced a ransom note. That is what the Default on America Act is, and that is wildly irresponsible. Wildly irresponsible, that that would be it. Uh, The fact is that the wealth gap will continue to grow, particularly among marginalized groups and the rest of the world. It's just, it's completely and totally, it's unmanageable. It's also not going to help advance our society in any way. Yet, you know, their jobs, they're in these positions in Congress, they are lawmakers, they are legislature because we put them in that position. And so I really, really do have to call upon people. You need to check about who you are voting into these positions of power because they're making these decisions because you're elevating them. So what lies are you telling yourself? Because we know good and well that they are not here to rep your interests. So really, what are you doing? Those are just my thoughts, Mondale. I think you're spot on again. It is unbelievable to me that we know that you know the Bush and Trump tax cuts added ten trillion dollars to where to our our debt ceiling, and I think that the national debt is not a problem that you can fix by making more people hungry, by making more people homeless, by taking health care from more people. That is not how we're going to fix this. We're going to fix this by not by not looking out for the wealthiest American. And the Republicans seem dead set on doing just that, looking out for the wealthiest American, while the poorest Americans continue to support them. It is absolutely disgusting. But this also ties back into the gerrymandering story. As long as they can continue to get elected in these old bright red districts, they can continue to pass laws that benefit only the top 1% of Americans at the expense of everybody else. 
You know, having been to a number of countries and also worked with other countries' governments, the thing I would almost say that they often, those that are successful, have over the United States is a, a sense of working together. Because as much as people in other countries definitely have their issues, do not get me wrong, no no nation is perfect. But still, there is this thought of we rise together, we fall together, that is at least built into the fundamental aspects of our society. But given that our society was built on dehumanizing the black body, also completely and totally genociding the indigenous body, it's still this thought of an us them. And so when I see members of the GOP make these decisions, when I see people vote for members of the GOP and those who seek to truly dismantle our society, it makes it clear that they don't realize we actually rise and fall together. So if you completely create a subset of our society who can't take care of themselves, who don't have housing, then you're not even gonna be able to have that working class body. You need individuals to be in the workplace. You need individuals in their space, not only for the human capital and the intellectual contributions that they'll make, but also because otherwise society is gonna end up falling apart to a certain extent. And I think that that's what we often miss in the United States is this cohesive, thought of, well, if we are working, we are working together. And so I don't know maybe if I'm just kind of naive in my thinking, but that's something I have seen in other countries that seems to work so well. But because of the divisiveness that we have, because we've created these hierarchies of race and we've reinforced those of gender in, and now we are definitely doing it by gender identity and sexuality. It really seems like we are going to capitalize on this class divide such that we end up imploding as a nation. Mondale, am I missing something? Nothing at all. I mean, but that is that is the course of capitalism anyway. When you put money and profits over people, um, that is the that is the game. The game is to basically implode. You can't exploit people and continue to exploit people and add more people to the list of people that you're exploiting and not see the inroad as implosion. So you're spot on. Yeah, and I really wish that more individuals who are voting class citizens here in the US really got that in their system because the way things are going, they're not gonna go for very well, they're not gonna go well for very long. And that seems to be something we know because we've seen how other nations do it and the ones that failed versus the one that succeed. Then again, those are just my thoughts. We'll have more thoughts for you when we get back. Hello, Adrian Lawrence again, filling in for the great Nina Turner. And I need to get a fill of all the great things y'all gotta say. So let's go to TYT.com, TYT members. Ivan says, when you see inflation and record profits, it means the companies are inflating their prices. The media pretends that inflating inflation is coming from the cost of raw materials, necessary service, shipping, etc. When their profits increase during inflation, it's called bull. You're absolutely right. And if we had a functioning government that looked to take care of its people, they would cap that stuff. Maybe increase the amount of taxes or fines you'd have to pay if you unnecessarily inflated the cost. Yeah, that would be really nice. But then again, we don't have that society. But we do have people out on Twitch saying what's up. And Designer Dragon said, make the rich spend their damn money or tax the honey out of them. Yeah. I have no problem with that. Larry Swan says, Bidenomics made me cringe. He hit me too. More than watching Carl Rove try to rap way back in the day. YouTube it if you want, but if you don't want to cringe, don't. I'm not gonna do it, I'm good, but it just sounds cringeworthy. YouTube Snapchat says, from you don't like music says, we need to unionize the unemployed. Could you imagine if we did that? 
Like that would be amazing. Yeah, definitely. And again, I would say that that's one of the ways in which if we truly were united, if we had that foundational aspect of rising and falling together, we would be in a very strong position because there are a number of nations out there that have extraordinarily strong unions and that's why. Because they realize the collective good, but we see each other as an us them, you know, what pie kind of thing, a zero sum game and it's really pretty, it's not cute. But what's also very not cute is the Equal Rights Amendment. Yeah, because I say it's not cute in part because it's not getting to where it needs to be. Even though supporters are showing up to uplift it, check this out. push to move for the change. The Equal Rights Amendment, it got blocked by filibuster yesterday by the GOP Senate. Here's the breakdown of the disappointment. The 51 to 47 vote to invoke cloture was short of the 60 needed for final consideration of the resolution. Senators Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski were the only Republicans to join all Democrats to present in supporting a vote on the ERA. Senator Dianne Feinstein remains absent from the chamber, recovering from shingles. Yeah, because I'm sure, you know, when I'm out of a job, I can just sit at home and do nothing. I just, I'm so, I'm in a place about Feinstein, but whatever. Anyway, now, really, I want you to remember really what the ERA is about. It was first introduced in 1923, and this is largely what it says. So, section one equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Section two, the Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. Section three, this amendment shall take effect two years after the date of ratification. And that two years thing is absolute bunk as far as I'm concerned, because it needs to be like ratified in the now as far as I'm concerned, especially if we're out here saying that everyone is equal. But again, if we're only talking about wealthy white men, then I guess that's why they would block the ERA. But anyway, we're gonna head to Common Dreams, which wrote this. So while the amendment passed both chambers of Congress in 1972, it must also be ratified by three quarters of all state legislatures or 38 states. A quota that wasn't hit until a 2020 vote in Virginia decades after the 1982 ratification deadline. The resolution blocked in the Senate on Thursday, led by Murkowski and Ben Cardin would have eliminated that deadline so the ERA could take effect. That would have been awesome. Now the reaction and disappointment, it was really widespread because why shouldn't it be? Out on Twitter, well the president of the AFL-CIO, Liz Scholler tweeted this. A minority of senators just voted to filibuster against the resolution which would have ratified the ERA and provided constitutional equality for half of this country. And it's unbelievable that in 2023, women and LGBTQ people still don't have equal protection in the Constitution. Exactly. My thought is that if our lawmakers are going to talk about it, they should be about it. So why not pass the ERA? But then again, there are so many reasons why I think we all know. Anyway, well, the League of Women Voters of the United States CEO, Virginia K. Solomon, also stated this. Today is a disappointing day for women. Our nation's elected leaders have failed yet again to see us as equal members of this democracy. It is shameful that despite the significant advances made in recent history, Americans continue to face discrimination on the basis of sex and lack 
equal rights in the Constitution. Inequality hurts everyone and we must not continue to be a nation that harmfully excludes and marginalizes women. Also, well, Ayanna Presley had a few things to say. It's been over 100 years now. Some might think that's a testament to our resilience. I think it's a pathetic commentary. At a time when we face daily sexism, pregnancy discrimination, pay inequities, sexual violence, and persistent legislated attacks on our bodily autonomy, our bill is essential. Despite this devastating setback, we remain resolved and determined as Shirley Chisholm, the first black woman elected to Congress and a key strategist in the fight to pass the ERA, once said, it is time to sweep away these relics of the past and set further generations free of them. Her words were true 50 years ago and they remain true today. On days like this, I can't help but to think of our 14 year old daughter, Cora. She asked me why at every rally in March, we chant when we fight, we win. I told her baby girl, because it's the truth. I will not be made a liar to my kid. When we fight, we win. Yeah, that's right, when we fight, we win. And Ayanna Presley is winning in them shades because they hot. But as far as the ERA, it is something that needs to be passed and it's overdue. But the fact is that America, the United States, it hates women, just as it hates black people. And I know a lot of people would like to think, no, that we've advanced so many on so on so many fronts. But the reality is, look at where we are not. And the fact that people continue to hold us back, and yet those individuals continue to be elevated to leadership. The fact is that we want to maintain our hierarchies. We want to maintain our divisions because it means that if we have some kind of hierarchical system that limits people, that we can kick other people in their teeth and deny them what our democracy says is that whole life, liberty and pursuit of happiness thing. And as far as I'm concerned, it's pretty pathetic if not hypocritical. Mondale. 51% of this, this nation's population and women, the fact that men are being elected that support the blocking of, of not just through the filibuster, through actions at the state level as well. White equal rights for women is absolutely disgusting to me. I have seven sisters and, and I was raised by them and I know I'm a better person because of them. I know they would be better if they had protection from the ERA. And I think this idea that in 2023, we're still using a filibuster, which the house got rid of in 1842. Because it was disgusting. The fact that we call it a filibuster actually tells you exactly what it is. This word comes from pirating expeditions, right? And and the fact that we're still using it, knowing that it's in a, it should be an illegal procedure meant to stop discussion in a democratic way. And and it is it is disgusting that no men on the Republican side supported women. They're, they have wives, they have daughters and mothers, and and the fact that they continue, like you said to show that they hate women in this country um, and still know that they're gonna be safe is absolutely disgusting. And I think white women that vote for Republicans should also be looking at themselves in a real in a real hard way. Um, because this is disgusting that we have these men that know that if we were talking about men rights, this would not be the case at all. No way, no way. 
No, no, it wouldn't. And the fact that we even have to bring up that they have wives, they have mothers, it's just equivalent of saying I got a black friend. Like the reality is uh, we're people, all of us are people. And so it just really shows you the disconnect there uh, that they don't see women, they don't see black people, they don't see marginalized people as people. It's a thought that we are a commodity, we are a workforce or maybe we are consumers, but we are not whole people. Uh, but then again, I think we all know that the way our society is set up is that it's again, white wealthy male landowners that are the actual people. But one thing I can tell you is all people in the United States need medication at some point, they need drugs. Well, label, off label, legal, illegal, doesn't matter. But we definitely know that there are some progressive people in Congress who are pushing for drug prices to be lower. Yeah, that's right. And one of the only advanced countries in the universal healthcare system continues to have drug prices soar. That's right here in the US. Unfortunately, again, there are some leaders in Congress who are doing something. Check out this headline here. Yeah, that's courtesy of Congresswoman from Washington 7th District, Jayapal. Well, uh, her and Warren are calling on patent office to take critical steps to lower drug prices and fight big pharma patent abuse. My God, would that be smart if it actually comes to pass, but I definitely appreciate this effort. Here's a reporting from Bloomberg Law um, on their call to action. Senator Elizabeth Warren and Pramila Jayapal sent a letter Thursday to Kathy Vidal, director of the US Patent and Trademark Office, again calling on the agency to fight high drug prices by cracking down on what they see as anti-competitive practices in pharmaceutical companies. Warren and Jaipal wrote to the Patent Office asking it to take similar action in December 2022 and June 2021. And here's what some of that letter said. Patients continue to suffer as prescription drug manufacturers jack up prices and rake in billions in profits. We have yet to see the USPTO take substantial steps to exercise its existing administrative authorities to help Lower drug prices encourage competition and increase innovation. Yes, that is an incredible part about it. The fact that if you lower prices, you'll have greater access for more of the population. But on top of that, it'd be really great to have more innovation out there. And so this joint letter here, well, it calls for a number of significant steps. Check this out. So to revise the patent trademark office's practices of granting obvious patents by rejecting additional obvious patents filed by pharmaceutical companies for a single drug product, regardless of the disclaimers. Stipulate that patents tied together by terminal disclaimers should all stand or fall together when challenged, raise filing fees, limit the number of time periods, continuation applications, require applicants to disclose the time of the filing, reverse policies, establish an office dedicated to public transparency, all these great things that I would definitely love to see. But I would like to think that maybe capitalism has a problem with this, especially when it's big pharma. Mondale, do you think that's the problem? Yeah, I think I think these uh, these two amazing uh, you know legislators, one in the Senate and one in the House, in, in Warren and Jayapal, are doing doing Lord's work. However, uh, the Lord don't run America. Uh, the devil that we call capitalism and corporations do, and we're not gonna see this pass, unfortunately, because this this these are rules that are already in place that the patent office could use to to do something about this. And the fact that they've not done anything about it lets us know that nothing's gonna change. As long as we have as much money and influence for pharmaceutical corporations in our politics, this will not become the law of the land. No, it won't. And but again, as we have discussed, the fact is that if we actually had a society that took care of us, that uplifted its people, that pay its taxes and keep us in a position, then it would 
not necessarily be the case. We'd be like those great Nordic countries that you know have universal health care and all the wonderful things that we should be entitled to, especially given how hard we work and how much money we generate. But that's okay. As we all know, drug companies love to exploit millions of people. That is something that is glaring. And all the examples of the drug manufacturers really just jacking up prices like Moderna was ready to hike its price of its vaccine, which I kind of wish it would have because I have stock in Moderna, but that's not the point. We're all working together. Anyway, but we know the government was paying $26 a pop for it. And they wanted to put it up to between 110 with 130 for everyday Americans. That's wild. Thanks to Senator Bernie Sanders, who chairs the Senate Health Committee. Well, that didn't happen. Moderna ended up having to cancel its plans to hike vaccine prices after Sanders invited the CEO to testify. That's the kind of change we need, and we need more individuals out there like that. Mondale, I know you are an individual out there like that, which is why you are a mayor and you're out there making meaningful change out in North Carolina. Where can people find more about you and really kind of just follow your journey? Yeah, I am Mondale Robinson on all platforms, on all social media platforms. And of course, I'm producing videos, content weekly, four times a week on TYT Rubber HQ. So check us out. That's fantastic. I cannot wait to see more of your videos out there and your contributions and also follow your path. Because I know in North Carolina, things are going to be work, especially with the Supreme Court's ruling. Is there anything you're gonna do in particular in light of that? Yeah, I mean, we're working on some stuff right now to to to, to wake up the eastern part of the state. The eastern part of the state percentage-wise where most of the black people are. It's where I'm a mayor and also it's also some of the least performing like voting performance. And we're, we're trying to get people more active in the electoral politics systems out there in the eastern part of North Carolina. That's cool. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining us today and also very much appreciate your work because we know there needs to be change. And especially since North Carolina is what around the top of that list of most gerrymandered states, we know that you all need help out there. And so I'm glad and grateful you are putting in the work and I can't imagine it's easy. So I wanna thank you so much for all of your contributions and work. And definitely y'all get out there and watch on Rebel HQ, Mondale Robinson, all of his contributions. Also check out mine, I got a few out there, some good things. I definitely broke down recently Tucker Carlson's text messages and why they cost Dominion voting case for Fox News. Cuz believe it or not, that case was not in the bag. I give you my legal analysis on why that was the case. And now that it is Friday and we are at the end of the show, I wanna bid you adieu and I'll check you out soon. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.